Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. As you open up there, um, I'm reminded of a couple of things that I want to talk to you about, a couple of scenes. One is hypothetical, and the other one is one that I experienced. Uh, when I was in college, I got to um, go on a short-term mission trip to uh, the Soviet Union, Russia, the Soviet Union at that time. And um, as part of the trip, you, most in those days, you flew into Moscow. Everyone flew into Moscow, and then they kind of checked you out there, and then you could go from there. And so as we went into Moscow, it was very amazing, all the, the senses, that I think, things that I uh, was able to see. And then we went and did our stuff. We traveled in a couple of different areas away from Moscow, and then back to Moscow. And before we left, probably a couple of days before our, our plane flew out, uh, we did a little bit of sightseeing, and we were in Moscow, and so we went to Red Square. We saw uh, the Kremlin, and Red Square's, uh, if any of you ever been there, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's like this huge, huge parking lot that no one's using, um, and uh, it, it, we, we don't have things like that here in America, but that, that's what it's like, and uh, on one side, you know, there's, I don't know if it's a Western influence, there's like this huge really the only one at that time, there was this huge mall. There was this huge mall. Uh, There's the Kremlin, where a lot of different kind of business goes on there. And, um, and then uh, one of, there's a smaller building that they call the mausoleum. And uh, they say, well, you got to go see the, in the mausoleum. you got to go see Lenin. And uh, we had been traveling, and we'd seen Lenin and Stalin everywhere already. We'd seen statues and... Uh, busts and stuff like that, uh, him everywhere. And they said, no, no, you got to go see Lenin. And so we stood in line, we paid our rubles or whatever we had to pay, and we go in, and Lenin's body has been preserved, laying there, since 1924, okay? And he's just laying there. And, uh, you know, that's a weird thing, by the way, you know, that I paid money to go see that. That's weird. I'm a weird guy because of that. But I, I remember, you know, it, they, you know, I don't think there was any music, but somehow they had like, it was like this wall, wall, <laughs> this feeling, and the, it's all dark in there except for the lights on his body, and it, it's just creepy, just creepy. And, and you, 1924, right? 1924, uh, and that was a while ago that I went. So anyways, they've been keeping his body preserved there, and people come in and look at it. And, and I remember I was with a few other people that were traveling with me, and they go, oh, I was just sure he was just going to sit up and say something <laughs> to us or something. And just that feeling um, that they had done a pretty good job of preserving his body for all these years. Away from that scene. Uh, picture yourself uh, going into a spiritual doctor, a spiritual doctor. And, uh, y- you know, there's tests. You sit in the, you, you're in a waiting room, first of all, right? Because you always got to be in a waiting room. They call you. They call you back. And they say, we're going to do some tests. And they do some tests. They poke and prod at you, hook you up to some machines. And uh, they do all these things. Nurses come and go or people that are m- messing with those machines. And... They go through a, a long process, and then they finally shut down, and they leave, and they say, the doctor will see you tomorrow. And the doctor comes in, and 
he's looking at charts, he's looking at charts, and, and he's got a weary look on his face. And uh, you say, well, well, Doc, how bad is it? And he says, well, it's, it's pretty bad. It's, it's really as bad as it could be. And, and you say, well, well, how bad? Like, what, what are we talking about here? And he says, you're dead. You just don't know it. He said, well, how can I be dead? Like, I, I feel like I'm alive. He says, you know, on the outside, you look like you're alive. But spiritually, on the inside, you're dead. Ephesians chapter 2. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you. Um, and when I say in honor of God's Word, uh, we're just doing something different, right? Uh, this is the Word of God. This is something that uh, we, could, uh, we could kneel, we could turn, we, we could do whatever. But the idea of standing is just a reminder to us that it's a, something different, right? Um, and if you can't stand, don't worry about that. The Lord knows that we're... Uh, um, we're in a time of grace where God shows His grace in all kinds of ways. God's Word says this, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead uh, in your trespasses and sins in which you uh, once walked, following the course of this world, the, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit uh, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love of which He loved us, He even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up uh, with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let's stop there. God, bless Your Word to us and help us to understand our place without You and our place with You. God, thank You. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Excuse me. <clears throat> As we look to God's word, we are in a uh, we're going to do a study that is going to probably take us all the way up till Christmas. Uh, but really, it's a, a Thanksgiving study. It's focusing on really one word of the gospel each week. And really, because I'm you know I'm trying to slip it to you, there's two words of the gospel. And we might even look ahead to some other words that we're going to look at in the future as well. But there's two words. There's a bad word and there's a good word. And we'll always, as we go through this study, we'll start with the bad word. Bad news first. And I, I want to I tell you, I want to tell you, I want to warn you uh, that the bad word might be primary in your life right now that you might be stuck in that place of the bad word, okay? And as we, we go through this, I realize that I, I'm speaking in vague terms, but hopefully 
uh, as we go through this study, uh, you'll realize that these words are identifications of the state of your soul, of what is going on in you. And if you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, this is the place you are right now. As you sit in our peach-flavored pews here, uh, that's where you are, uh, apart from Jesus, apart from trusting in Him. We are not a church of good works. Um, and that's not just simply because we don't want to be. Uh, is because they won't work for you and for me. We can't do enough good works uh, that we could earn our way to heaven. We can't be a good enough person. Um, and it might be clear to you today as we go over this and we look at the bad word, how bad it truly is, okay? So here we go. This morning we're in Ephesians chapter 2. And it starts out and it says, And you were dead. And you were dead. It's speaking uh, to a church, a church that is no longer dead. But he's saying that is what our life is, our spiritual life, apart from Jesus. Dead. Dead. There's great hardship in death, right? There's great grieving. Why? Because we always... uh, we always think there's hope uh, ahead of that, right? Uh, we always think there's like a, a possibility. Even speaking with Ray this morning, he, he thought, yeah, it's going to get better. And me seeing uh, on Friday, uh, on Friday, seeing Bev, I said to myself, oh, I don't think she's coming back. I don't think so. You know, I wasn't saying that I didn't think she would ever die. I was just saying that I think that, you know, there's still hope. There's still hope. There's still hope that the body would rally in the, the sense where they, you know, try another drug or this or that. There's always a sense of hope. But when you say the word dead, it's over. It's over. And so as we look at this bad word, it couldn't be more hopeless. And you were dead. How bad is it? It's as bad as it could be. It's there's no hope in this. Dead. And well, dead in what? It says dead in the trespasses and sins, the things that you have done. Uh, many of us, uh, when we think of dumb things that we've done, sins that we've committed, we quickly want to connect uh, with our parents. We quickly want to connect. Well, my dad was like this. You know, I come from a long line of sinners. Yeah, me too. Funny thing, all of us do. <laughs> like a common ancestry right there, right? Ancestry.com, you know. Oh, trace it back. Sinner. Yeah, there we go. And, and so we go, well, I couldn't help it because of what I had learned and because of how I was raised. This is who we are. Uh, and and maybe, maybe others of us, we say, well, it wasn't our parents. It was our friend group, you know, our peers. I got involved in some peer pressure, and I just was pressured into doing these things. If I had better friends, I wouldn't be a sinner. Or maybe it's just culture, you know, right? We blame it on the Internet, or we blame it on, uh, you know, the television, things that really aren't real people to us, but they, they feel like the pressure of the culture around us. But in this passage, 
It's not talking about our ancestors. It's not talking about the things that are going on in the world. He'll get, in, get into that in a moment. He's talking about you and me. And he says, you were dead. You were dead in what? In your sins and your trespasses. Uh, it's interesting, sins and trespasses. Uh, you know, the way that's translated, the trespasses is the, the wandering outside of what God desires. We can picture that, right? Uh, we we uh, know times in our life where maybe you're in the midst of one right now where you said, I wasn't chasing after sin. I just got tempted and I wasn't paying attention. And all of a sudden, I got to that place and I it, it startled me how far I had gone from God. In a place, in a situation, and in relationships that I knew were wrong and were vile in his eyes. And I wondered how I got here. I knew how I got here, but I, I, I wondered what had gone wrong. You know, there's those types of things, but there's also sins. But we knew it was sin. We knew what we were doing. We knew we shouldn't do it. We were clear thinking. And we said, God, I'm not going to listen to you right now. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I want to tell you, because of your willful sins and your wandering sins, you were dead in them. It brought you death. It brought to your life death, spiritual death. It's interesting, when I was up in, uh, I lived north of San Francisco, uh, Petaluma is an old city, and there's these beautiful Victorian homes and I, I talked to a painter one time, and he was saying, you know, uh, this house, well, you really need to replace this wood and that wood and everything. He says, but you know what? Most painters just make sure that the, the paint's really sticky, kind of sets up a little bit, and then they just slap it on, slap it on. And it doesn't show how termite-infested and dead and rotten the wood is. It doesn't show, at least initially, how bad it is inside. I want to tell you that's the way most of us and most of our world deals with sin, the sin of deadness of heart. They cover it up. They, they, they lay it on. Lay, lay it on with a heavy coat, right? Heavy coat. We can fix it. We have some semblance of morality that we point to. See, I'm a good person. See, you know, I, I smile. I'm happy inside. Put a, put a big coat on it. Put a big coat of paint. I want to tell you that uh, we cannot cover up what is truly going on inside. And so it's helpful for us to go through the scriptures and to hear um, what God has to say about the state of our soul apart from Him. Apart from Him. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses, the things that you had done, the things that you had wandered into. You were dead. And it goes on to really talk about how bad that was. He said, um, as you look to God's word, he says, and you are dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. It, that word walked uh, is for life, right? That was your life. That was your life. It was the way you did things. It was the way you ate your breakfast. It was the way you slept at night. It was the way you went to work. It was following you around because it was you. It was the course of your life. 
It's not meaning that you are as bad as you possibly could be and doing every sin that uh, spoke to deadness, but the things that you touched, the things that you were about, were touched by the deadness that was in you, in your heart. It was your way of life in which you once walked, and this is following the course of this world, and you walked in it just like everybody else does. It was part of the course of the world. Uh, one of the great comforts of being dead in your sins, there's a lot of other people too. And you look and you kind of go, well, I'm not, I'm not as bad as, you know, I'm kind of like them or not as bad as them. You know, I, I'm in good company. I'm in good company here. I want to tell you that uh, just because you're dead in your sins and the person is with you, with you next to you, your friend group, uh, that should be no comfort to us. Uh, because the same desperate place that they are in, you're in as well. He goes on. And this is the, this section right here, these couple of verses, are describing how bad it truly is. He's, you, you walked in it just like everybody else. And he says, following the prince of the power of the air. Uh, and if he could shorten that, he would have said, following Satan. Following Satan. And you say, well, I've never been a follower of Satan. I want to tell you that if you've been lost in your sin, you may not have been following him uh, in your mind saying, I'm waking up to serve Satan. I'm just telling you, you're following in his pattern. You've succumbed to his plan. You're following what he would desire for you of, of not worshiping the God who loves you so much, your creator. And then I want to just say the word stuck. He says, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience is most likely a term for all who are dead in their sins, all who are lost. And it points to us being in the middle of that. that that's the place we're in. We're in the midst of the sons of disobedience. And it's going to talk about, this passage is going to talk about where that ends up. But that's the crowd that you were a part of. That's the club that you, or even the family that, that you participated in. You were part of the sons of disobedience. You were stuck with the ones who disobey. As you continue on, it says, Among whom uh, we all, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. I would say again the word stuck. You're stuck in sin. You're stuck in it. Can't get out of it. How do you make decisions when you're dead, spiritually dead? Based upon the sin within you, you now make decisions. And the sin in your heart brings out sin, sinful actions, both on yourself and onto others. How do you make decisions? Well, uh, the passions of your flesh. Your flesh being weak, if you follow the passions of weak flesh, you do sinful deeds. You, you carry out the desires of your body. You, you think of yourself as, as your body is your God, your, the idea that what my body cries out for, I have to have it. And also not just of your body, but of your mind. Having been a corrupted and dead, spiritually dead mind, it leads to spiritually dead actions. You're stuck in sin. And really bringing this to conclusion, and he says, and we're 
by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The anger of a holy God is directed upon the objects of His wrath and being part of the sons of disobedience, being part of you know, going about doing fleshly things, stuck in that place, you now individually become an object of His wrath. The anger of a holy God, but not just a holy God, an all-powerful God, a controlling God. You're an object of His wrath. And I just want to say, this is me apart from Jesus this is you, apart from Jesus. I, I want you to sit with that for a moment. If you have your Bibles open, just reread that section. Just sit with that for a moment. That's you, that's me, without Jesus. ready to die? You say, well, no, I'm not ready to die. I got plans and this. No, no, no. I'm not talking about are all your projects finished. That'll never happen. Bev died this morning. I don't want to dramatize that, but she went to be with Jesus this morning. Ray and Bev were talking about heaven and uh, she talked about the streets of gold and she said, well, you know, how, how do you know what it's like? And, and Ray said, the Bible tells you so. I thought that was a great answer, right? I, I want to tell you that you can know that you're ready to go see Jesus today. You trust in Him. We're going to get there, okay? Um, that's the bad news. That's the bad word, dead, dead. That's what we all are apart from Jesus, dead. We move on in the passage. The good word is alive. Alive. Life described. Okay, he's going to go there. But before he goes there, before he speaks of this word to be alive, it focuses on God and who he is, okay? Um, very important for you to remember how desperate is the situation? You're dead, right? D dead people can't do anything. Can't do anything. They can't help themselves. They can't do good works. They can't. It's a deadness that will leave us there. This is what it says about God. If you look down in chapter 2, um, verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, rich in mercy, it, it's... This idea of rich in mercy is that like he he uh, he was rich in it. He was wealthy in it. And and out of that rich mercy is what he's he's going to do something. He's merciful. He's merciful. I, I want to tell you that he's also rich in justice. But when it comes to your salvation and what you need, his justice needs to be satisfied 
but he had to do that with his son, right? The little lamb that I was afraid to talk about the blood that was spilled with the kids. That's your job as parents, right? I don't want to send, you know, you cause the, the nightmares, okay, uh, with your kids. But I, I want you to get this, that, that he speaks of his rich mercy towards you, that you deserve something. Why? Because of sins and trespasses. We, we deserve something. And so it's out of his rich mercy. He goes on and he says, because of uh, the great love, the, the love that he has. It's his great capacity for love. It's his infinite capacity. It's out of his love. Sometimes we, we think it's all about our love for God. I want to tell you, that's just a response. And even, even I'd say this, it's not just even a response. He gave you the love. He gave you the love. Why? Because you were dead, right? You were un- unable to love him. Unable to. And so he gives you the love. He gives you the life that he might love him in return. But it's out of his love, his capacity to love. What does he do? He loves. Uh, we think of human relationships and we think about loving and being lovable, right? I love them. It's so easy to love them. I, I love being with them. It's enjoyable. It's this. It's that. I, there's something of worth in them that I want to love them. And they love me in return. And it's this great love relationship. This is human love. I want to tell you, uh, it is shocking. This passage is shocking. And I, I, I want you to be shocked that out of his huge resource of love, he loved you. You being who you are. You look at that, you know, if we look at those first three verses, you can ask the question, how lovable am I apart from Jesus? What is there to love? It says that uh, he gives a capacity and then he loved us. And then if we didn't get it, which maybe sometimes we don't, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when, even when. Um, I don't want to bring up uh, sore subjects, but um, some of you have been married. And what did you know about that person you got married to before you married them? Very little. Very little. You learned all the bad stuff later, right? We, we, we learned all, all that stuff later. I want to tell you, uh, our God, He knows everything about us. And that's why it's so fascinating. It's so amazing and so uh, worthy to be praised is he that it says that he loved us out of his love, mercifully so, even when we were dead. Even when we were dead. There's nothing we could give in return. Nothing that we had for him. It says that he loved us, even in our deadness. In our, in our trespasses. I want to tell you that this passage, as you can, as you can see, there's a descending to it, right? Uh, it starts out with a bang, right? You were dead. And it's actually worse than that, right? Because then he goes and he describes your deadness. And it's climbing down the hole. Climbing down the hole. 
And then uh, as you come to verse 4, God enters the scene. God enters the scene. In your deadness, it, it, it can't get any worse. You're in the hole. You're in the grave. And, and we're going to get some picture of resurrection here too. But this picture, we're in the hole. We're in the hole. It can't get any worse. And then there's a description of God. And God, who's rich in mercy. Maybe maybe, maybe it's not all, all hopeless here. Right? God is rich in mercy. A God who, who has love. He has love to give. That he would love people like us. And even when we were dead, even when we were dead, uh, he would love us. And so God makes the difference. And what is the difference? It's a, a simple one that's already been described, uh, a simple word. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead, he says this, and this is, and this got it. Stand out in your Bible. Made us alive. He made us alive. You didn't make yourself alive by the good works that you did. By the smarts that you had. You have not made yourself anything. Uh, even if you really wanted to. I want to get up. I'm dead. Oh yeah, that's not going to work. Made us alive together with Christ. Together with Christ. I want to tell you this is a... a an Easter message, a resurrection message. It's a baptism message. It's a communion message. It's our union and our connection with Christ that makes the difference. He made us alive when we were dead. He gave us life when we had none. He made us together uh, with Christ. As Christ has been made alive in the resurrection, so we too gain life inside of Him. And then it goes to describe the work of Christ. In chapter 2, in verse 5, he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Uh, Grace is a pointer. It's uh, another word that's really connected to mercy. But grace is that which... You haven't done, you've been blessed by things that others have done. You have been graced, and in this case, Jesus' work on the cross has been done on your behalf. On your behalf. By grace, you have been saved. And what what do you get with this grace? Verse 6, And raised us up with Him and seated us in, uh, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Raised from the dead to glory. Raised from the dead to glory. If you think about this, I think that if you can picture that hole, that grave that we have dug through our own actions, the things that we have done, sins and trespasses, and we realize that we've been pulled out of it by the work of Jesus Christ, some of us get this picture that he pulls us from the deadness and he just sets us on the side and he goes, okay, good, you got it. But that's not the picture here. And in other places in the New Testament, this beautiful picture is he takes us from the grave and it takes us to a place of, uh, a seated place, a place that the work is done, okay? Where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's talking about from the grave of hopeless deadness and sin 
to being with him forever and eternity. What an amazing picture. That's a big turnaround, right? That's a big turnaround. And the, and but wait, there's more. But wait, you're like I'm selling knives. Verse seven. Verse seven. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. What does that mean? He's saying that not just to be, it's not just to be in heaven, but the riches that are found in Jesus, the, the inheritance, if you will, the good stuff of being connected with Christ forever will be on display in the coming ages. This picture, sometimes the, the, the ages to come, you, they talk about on earth, you know, just talking about the future here on earth. But as we look at this, we realize that this isn't just the, the next year. So I'm talking about just 2019. His riches are supposed to be on display from now until forevermore. And what is he displaying? His riches. The riches of his grace and kindness towards us. The amazing thing that is hard for me to grasp is that, that we stand, uh, if, we've, if we've come to know Christ, that our life is like this, this trophy, if you will, or this monument, or this billboard, or this reminder of how great our God is and what He has done in the work of His Son. And it's not just for a moment down here. It's forever. And it forever stands as this, and look at the words, the words here, uh, you can, this is the inspired word of God. God wrote this, but you can hear Paul struggling to find big enough words to describe this. And as we translate them, we, we look for bigger words and we don't really have them. You know, kids have, you know, from the 80s took away awesome, right? Uh, and we forever ruined that word, but... Uh, I just want to point this out. He, in the coming ages, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. That the immeasurable part, you can't measure it. It's overflowing. It's too big for you to see. And what is it? His grace. His grace. His grace. Some of you are really proud of your sin. You're holding on to him and you say, well... I don't know if God can forgive the things that I've done. You, you think you're a better sinner than the, the rest of us. I want to tell you, you're not. You're not. You're not even that good. I want to tell you that there, there, there's this picture of His grace that He will extend to you. It's immeasurable. It will cover everything and will be a display of His greatness in eternity. The riches of His grace. Uh, he has called us to come. But I want to tell you, it's His grace, it's His work that has saved us. I want to point something out to you. I know we're going to go a little long, but that's okay. There won't be any snacks over there because the youth will get to them and they're gone. they gone. Um, I want to point something out to you. Uh, in verse 4 it says, But God, 
But God, it didn't say, but Kevin. But Kevin made a great decision. It didn't say that. It talks of him. And it, it says at the middle of verse 5, it says, made us alive together with Christ. It's not me by myself dead, but with Christ I've been made alive. It's the work of Christ. If you, if you go down to, to verse 6, it says, and raised us up with Him, with Him. Once again, it's with Him. It's not about being with you or anyone else. It's being with Him. And seated us with Him again. Seated us with Him in the uh, heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you get it? The end of verse uh, 7. He's displaying this immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Are you getting it? It's being in Christ. Being in your person, apart from Christ, you are dead. But being with Him, with Christ, you've been made alive. You've been given life eternal. This is a Thanksgiving message. What are you thankful for? I want to tell you, sometimes uh, we do that kid thing uh, where someone says, what are you thankful for? And you say, well, I'm thankful I'm so smart. Thankful I work so hard. I'm thankful for this house that I own that I pay the mortgage for. I'm thankful for this car. I'm thankful for how how diligent I've become. I'm thankful not, I'm not as dumb as my neighbors here. Like I, I'm thankful uh, for these things that draw back attention to yourself. I want to tell you, I, I want to ask you, I want to uh, ask you to consider Ephesians chapter 2 and find yourself in there. I want to tell you, you were dead. You were dead. But because of what Christ has done, you've been made alive. Made alive. That's something to be thankful for. That I have spiritual life eternal because of Jesus. I'm thankful because of the life that I have been given by my loving Heavenly Father. This is something to be thankful for. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the time that you blessed us with. Thank you for your word and its clarity and the riches that it shares with us. God, I I feel uh, like a a simpleton when I go to that. As I read that, I, I think, oh, I didn't realize I was so rich. God, help us to grasp. And, and may it return back to you in thanks. God, help us to celebrate uh, your son's uh, price that he paid for us now. We thank you in Jesus' name.